The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by Audible. Visit audible.com forward slash brain and choose from over 180,000 audiobooks. You know you want it. Go for it. Are you annoyed by affirmations when the speaker stares into your eyes, walks off the stage, and comes right up to you and bestows upon you the words, Think positively! Do you rise up from your chair, realizing that you have been chosen to be the recipient of the very words of the omnipresent leader of the seminar, causing you to look towards the sky to prepare for what might be your most inspirational, energized reply to anyone in the history of mankind? And as you stare at the seminar upgrades written on the flip chart on the stage with the package names of Think Positively Basic, Think Positively Advanced, and Think Positively Platinum Member, do you feel the pride and honor of being selected to continue your journey of positive thinking for an extra $10,000, $20,000, or $50,000 when the selfless seminar leader gives and gives and gives and chose you? to speak the most important piece of information that will change your life and your destiny forever. And as that positive thinking fills your head and heart and you stand tall and look straight into the eyes of the one who was there to espouse their infinite wisdom on you, you open your mouth to start the process of forming the words of your response that will forever be emblazoned in the minds of everyone attending this three-day positive thinking event so that the leader will walk away knowing that you fully embraced and like a vortex sucked into your very soul the words so that your life will be eternally happy from that point on. Your vocal cords rumble as the words start to pour out like a giant waterfall and finally the energy is just too much to contain and your voice explodes into a glorious That's it? I paid you $5,000 for you to tell me that I'm not thinking positively enough? Wow. I think I got ripped off. You see, folks, this is exactly what I mean. When you don't think positively enough, you convince yourself that positive thinking doesn't work. This is the atrocity I deal with on a daily basis. There's nothing if affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you've always wanted now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, your personal empowerment coach and host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the number one source for practical personal growth and development. If you're a bit jaded by hearing all the same personal growth teachings over and over again, then stick around where I'll share down-to-earth, useful steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I'm here to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, 
causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. If you're here to learn more common sense tips for improving your life, <laughs> you're in the wrong place. This is the direct path to uncommon sense, and that's why it's going to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. Today's quote is by Henrik Ibsen, and it's this. Home life ceases to be free and beautiful as soon as it is founded on borrowing and debt. You know, I don't think I ever told this on the air before, but in the 90s when I was in my first long-term relationship, the one that uh, lasted 13 years, many years before we broke up, I wanted to marry her. And I asked her, when we went to the beach one day, I got on my knee and I proposed. And if she, and she said, of course, yes. But there was one stipulation that I laid out before us. Now, I'm not proud of this. <laughs> and I was young. So give me some leniency when I tell you this. I did say that I want to get married when we are debt free. And now what that meant to me was I had uh, several thousand, probably over $10,000 in debt at the time that I asked. And this is all credit card debt. And uh, I didn't, I don't think she had any debt at that time. I'm not sure. But it was important for me to get married debt free so that we wouldn't have money issues to worry about and that we could just get married and not have to worry about money. I just thought it was a great idea at the time. Well, fast forward a few years, we're still in debt, we're still engaged, and the money situation doesn't seem to be getting any better. And on top of that, I didn't realize that our relationship was deteriorating. In fact, uh, the last one or two years was uh, pretty much we were living in the same house, but we weren't, weren't really intimate at all. You can read into that and you're probably going to be right. <laughs> so I don't know if it was before that point or after, but we had had a conversation about our debts. And the conversation that I brought up with her was that I'm finally paying off my, uh, at the time, $13,000 in debt. So my debt got bigger and then I was able to break it down and make it smaller and smaller until I was able to pay it off. And I was so excited because this meant that we could get married. And so she she was very excited for me. And then she told me something that completely shocked me. My heart skipped a beat when she told me this news. And it was this. Good, now that your debt's paid off, we can pay mine off. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't know you had debt. And she said, yeah, I, I have a plan uh, to knock down my $22,000 in debt. And I was shocked. I was like, 22000 It took me, what was it, three years to knock down 13000 in debt. Now she's telling me this. After I'm done with this debt, she tells me that she has $22,000 in debt. And uh, all these thoughts just went through my head. And I'm like, well, this is not good because now we can't get married and now we're in the same position we were before except you have more debt. And, oh, it was tough at the time. I didn't know what to do with the information. 
So I just felt disheartened. I felt sad. I didn't know what to do, like I said. And so we had to come up with a new plan to knock this debt down. And my commitment to getting married when we were debt-free was going to have to hold off even longer. So like I said, I don't know if we had that conversation before or after our relationship started disintegrating, but it was shortly after that where the relationship went downhill. And it wasn't necessarily because of that. It was a number of factors that I've talked about before, uh, including my critical observations, my judgmental uh, self, and certainly the inauthentic person that I was in that relationship. And there were other factors too, but what I really want to mention is how our home life ceased to be free and beautiful because I founded it on borrowing and debt. I'm paraphrasing that quote. Home life ceases to be free and beautiful as soon as it is founded on borrowing and debt. And I wanted to be out of debt, yet I founded our freedom and the beautiful relationship that we could have had on debt. This is hard not to do. When you have debt or money challenges, it's very hard to be happy. It's very hard to be to feel free. And for many years, I did feel not free. I did feel not as happy as I could have been because I was in debt. Thirteen grand is not a lot of money to be in debt. That can go fast. I mean, you can pay that off pretty quickly with a couple of extra part-time jobs or you know, doing other things that will help you gain some extra money. But I'm going to read you uh, uh, an email in today's Ask Paul segment where someone is in much larger debt and he just does not see a way out. But I can't imagine being in any larger debt, although I was, because in 2009, after my girlfriend and I broke up, I had the condo, it was in both of our names, and I decided to refinance it and pay her uh, basically off the mortgage. And it was amicable, we did it friendly, and you know, I gave her uh, a fair amount of money off the remortgage, or the refinancing, and everything went well, and then I had this condo that was appraised for quite a lot of money, so I thought, okay, maybe I can just pay her out of this and then just hold on to it, and, and it'll be an investment for me. But then the mortgage crisis hit and I couldn't afford the condo anymore because the renter that I had put in there stopped paying and I had no extra money coming in and the value of my condo went down probably 300%. (laughs) It was awful. It went down by $150,000 and even at that point, I still, I couldn't even sell it. I couldn't short sell it. I couldn't sell it on auction. And I finally had to include it in a bankruptcy. So I have seen what debt can do and sometimes what people have to do when there's no way to pay things back. So I don't feel extremely horrible going into bankruptcy, but at the same time, I don't recommend it unless you can't pay it. And even then, you want to exhaust all your options, of course. But at the same time, I can say this, that bankruptcy saved me. Bankruptcy put me in a position where I was finally debt-free. 
Now, here's the funny thing. After I met who would be my wife and then my future (laughs) ex-wife, we got married the day or the day after we went broke. So think about the commitment I made to myself in the first relationship where I said, I won't get married until we're debt-free. I was basically talking about myself at the time, until I'm debt-free. And so fast forward about 10 years or so, I'm ready to get married. And uh, we set the date and then we both lost our jobs. We both lost the apartment that we were renting. And the day before we got married, we were homeless and broke. (laughs) And, you know, a few weeks later, I thought about it and said, wow, how did all this happen? And I remember the commitment I made to myself. Wait a minute. I said I wouldn't get married until I was debt free. Oh no. (laughs) Not only was I debt free, but I was also broke. I didn't add that stipulation. I didn't want to be broke. But the good news was I was debt free. And maybe the bad news was that I didn't have any money. So all this boils down to the quote, how is your home life when you have money problems? What do you spend your money on? How much money do you save? Is money the root of all evil? Or is it just a tool that when you use it appropriately, it expands your options. It amplifies who you are. When you have more, you amplify who you are. When you have less, it amplifies who you don't want to be, typically. That doesn't mean there aren't poor, happy people. And it doesn't mean there are rich, happy people either. But what money does is takes away some of the stresses and burdens of life, some of the inconveniences of life. And how you treat it is really how you treat yourself. It's a little funny to say, and it's a little weird to hear me say it, actually. (laughs) But how you treat money is how you treat yourself. And even the term, feel free to treat yourself, it has to do sometimes with money. Treat yourself at the day spa. Treat yourself at a restaurant. How you handle and work with money is how you treat yourself. The more money that you get into your life, the more it amplifies who you are. So if you're carefree and you spend it as soon as you get it, guess what's going to happen when you win the lottery? (laughs) Or you get an inheritance. You might be even more carefree and spend a lot more and maybe end up in more debt. Who knows? So what I want you to take from this is one thing. And one of the most important things I've learned is where you create your zero point. Now, I don't know if that's a a real term or not, but for me, the zero point is how you define when you're broke. So let's just put it this way. If you have $5,000 in the bank, then you could make your zero point $3,000. So if you have to spend the money, it's almost like you only have $2,000 in the bank because your virtual zero point is $3,000. Understand what I'm saying? I did this at a number that was too low. (laughs) When I had $10,000 in the bank, I made my zero point $1,000. Well, guess what happens when you fly through $10,000 or $9,000 and you have $1,000 left? 
you stress out, you get anxious. There's all kinds of bad feelings that come up because now you're reaching zero. And when you reach zero, what are you going to do? Money is a huge stressor, especially when you owe. In fact, the only time money was not a stress in my life was when I was homeless, when I was broke, when I owed nobody anything. I just had no money and I had no bills. In a way, it was very peaceful. I lived in a world where I didn't have to pay, but I also had to pay the price of being broke and homeless. But let me tell you what that does. It motivates you like nothing else. If you don't like to be in that position, but you're having trouble being motivated, sometimes being in that position motivates you. When I was broke, I was so motivated that when I finally got a job that paid enough to get us both out of debt, I worked 60, 70 hours a week, lots of overtime, I saved lots of money, and I made another promise to myself that I would never be broke again, that I would do anything it took to never get broke again. If that means doing work that I didn't like, so be it. I'd be happy to do so because I've been on the bottom. And I wasn't really on the bottom. I was just very low. I was close to to living on the street. But once you're there, you have a lot more motivation than when you started. And once that motivation is built inside of you, nothing stops you from continuing to support yourself in some way, shape, or form. You find a way. So if you're currently in debt, do everything you can to get out of it. My biggest piece of advice to get out of debt is to listen to Dave Ramsey. No, this is not a sponsored ad for Dave Ramsey, but I listened to Dave Ramsey when I was $13,000 in debt, and he quite literally got me out of debt. Just by listening to his show, I did what he said, and I got out of debt. Within three years, I was out. You can find him at DaveRamsey.com, and you can also listen to him in iTunes, probably under the business section, I think. Find Dave Ramsey and listen to everything he says. He's a bit Christian-based, and some people like that and some people don't, but it doesn't matter. His advice is golden, and it works. If you're in debt, listen to him. I listen to him and also Clark Howard. Clark Howard is another guy that really helped me and really made me understand the value of money. And if you're not in debt, or even if you are in debt or not, but you have any money in the bank, make a new zero point. If you have 10000 in the bank, make 5000 your zero point. If you have 100000 in the bank, make 40000 your zero point. Pick a zero point where if it gets that low, it's almost like you have zero dollars left. It's untouchable money. Just like an IRA, you consider that untouchable money. And of course, there's always bankruptcy. I don't recommend it. I'm not saying you should go bankrupt. But at the same time, Sometimes things are so tough that what can you do? Thanks for tuning in to the non-money show where I talk about money in this episode. <laughs> Don't worry, it won't be the whole episode, but we all work with money and we all have our own perspective on money and today's perspective is mine and I hope it helps you. Stay tuned for the next segment called Ask Paul. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Welcome back. I surprised you at the beginning of this show by mentioning that this episode was brought to you by Audible. Now, what does that mean? That means I want to share with you something that saved me five days of boredom (laughs) a couple of years back. If you've been listening to the show a while, you may remember me talking about my trip from Oregon to New Hampshire. It was shortly after my wife wanted a divorce. We had separated, but I really believed we were rekindling things. I did a lot of healing from some old wounds that crept into our marriage and caused a lot of problems. And she also did a lot of healing herself. And she did a lot of soul searching too to figure out what she wanted in a relationship. Well, it turns out that I was not what she wanted in a relationship. (laughs) So we had to start the process of divorce. It hurt and it hit me hard. Now, at the time that we agreed that a divorce was imminent, she was already moved out for many months and the lease for the condo that we were staying in was up for renewal in a couple of months. So I had to do some quick planning. Should I stay? Should I renew it? Should I go? And where would I go if I did go? I finally decided that I had made no real connections in Oregon, except for a few good friends, but nothing was really tying me down there. So I chose to pack up and take a 3,300-mile road trip to New Hampshire to stay with family. The trip was absolutely memorable. It was the middle of the year, so it was a gorgeous drive with gorgeous weather, but I don't know how enthused I would have been traveling had I not had books on audio to listen to. In fact, I think I would have been extremely bored for the entire time. On my trip, I listened to quite a few books, but the one that I liked best was from Mike Robbins called Nothing Changes Until You Do, A Guide to Self-Compassion and Getting Out of Your Own Way. Now, have you ever listened to my interview with Mike? You can find it in iTunes or on my website, but I loved that interview because he was just an authentic guy. Plus, he's all about self-compassion, which I'm a huge proponent of. So, speaking of the Mike Robbins interview, I'm going to play you something that I never played before on the air. And that's something I left out of the final recording of my interview with Mike. We had a good laugh about this question I asked him, so I want to play it for you now so that you can kind of share in the experience. I appreciate it. I wish you the best of success. Hey, have you bought your own book in a bookstore yet? Not yet. You know, I went to go do it. I went to go do it, and they weren't even out yet. We went on Tuesday, and the guy was like, um... (laughs) Um, he goes, they're supposed to be out today. I don't know. They must be in the back. And I was like, you know, and then it was funny though. Cause I had a moment where he goes, he, I said, he said, I can call you when they're, I was with my wife, right? I can call you when they're ready. I said, okay, that's fine. He said, let me get your number. What's your name? Mike. I said, what's your last name? And I looked at Michelle. I was like, here we go. Again. Here we go I said, again. I said, it's Mike Robbins. It's my book. And he goes, oh, oh, okay. I mean, so I was honest about it. I'm like, I'm not lying. But I had that moment. I said to Michelle, I said, we walked in. I said, look, I'm either not going to say anything or if they ask, I'm going to say it's mine because I'm not pulling another lie story here. Right? <laughs> I love it. That was, that's one of my favorite stories. I love it. Yeah. yeah that one was just too funny. Well, Mike, thanks again. (laughs) All right. Well, there you have it. I've always wanted to ask an author if he or she bought their own book in a bookstore, and now I know. (laughs) If you want to listen to Mike Robbins' book on audio and you want to do it for free, go to audible.com forward slash brain and start your 30-day free trial today. Hey, you're already listening to podcasts. 
you know you enjoy audio while you're driving or going to the gym or doing your laundry or whatever you do, so you might as well get some books on audio and take advantage of this free opportunity. This isn't one of those streaming or rental services. With Audible, you actually own your books and you get over 180,000 audio programs too. Of course, they aren't just about books. You also get broadcasters, entertainers, magazines, and newspapers as well. That's pretty cool. I've never heard a newspaper before. <laughs> so visit audible.com forward slash brain and listen on almost any device, whether it's Apple products, Android, Kindle Fire, Windows Phone, and hundreds of MP3 players. Start your 30-day free trial today and get your free audio program as soon as you sign up. You won't regret it. By the way, you probably don't know this. I've actually been a narrator for a couple of books in Audible, so make sure you look up my name while you're there. Paul Coliani, just for fun. Audible.com forward slash brain. All right, this next segment is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to answer and help them through the challenge. This week's email is from a listener that I'm going to call Jack. Dear Paul, I have a minimum wage job at a daycare. I like the job, it just isn't enough, and it's stressful. For now, I still live with my parents, and I don't have a lot of expenses. However, in about a month, I'm going to have to start paying on my student loans. This will dramatically increase my expenses. I know that I want to be a teacher, and I have a plan, but it will cost some money. Almost everyone around me looks at me like I'm just adding more debt to the mountain of student loan debt that I already have. I'm attached to the job. I love the kids, and I like most of my coworkers. However, since I'm at the bottom rung of the career ladder, they expect me to kneel, no questions asked. In other words, I am supposed to do whatever my teacher asks of me. On top of that, saying no to a task given to me by a coworker is the equivalent of telling them to fuck off. This makes it hard, because when you get attached to someone, especially a child, you want to do what you think is right, and this can cloud your judgment. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say, though I do have an episode idea for you. I think you should do one on debt. My student loan debt feels like this never-ending weight that will never be lifted off my shoulders. It causes me a lot of stress and anxiety, even at the slightest thought. Because I went to a four-year public college and I still have the same amount of debt as I would have if I had gone to an expensive private college. It's nearly $200,000. Anyway, thanks again for your show and thanks for your help and support. All right, Jack, thanks so much for sharing all that. And you have some hard stuff going on here. Well, a couple of things are quite challenging, but especially one, the debt. But before we get to that, let me address things uh, in the order that you wrote, and let's see where we can go with this. Here's the first thing that comes to my mind. Almost nothing is a sure thing. And what that means is that you could uh, do what you majored in in college and fail. You could take this teaching position or get certified in teaching and fail. You could work at a pizza delivery place and fail. Or you could do any of the above and be highly successful. It might take you longer delivering pizzas, but eventually, if you do something long enough, it branches out into bigger things. Or it can. For example, every job that I've ever had, 
I was an excellent, diligent worker, in my opinion. But, you know, I got raises and promotions, and I did climb the ladder. But I'm also the kind of guy that will be very loyal, be very dedicated, will work overtime, will do whatever it takes to get the job done, and most importantly, I act as if I owned the company I worked for. So when I was just a customer service rep in some job when I was in my 20s, I acted as if I owned the company and I had to solve the problem, otherwise my company would feel the effect. Whereas there's a lot of employees that don't feel that way. They feel like they're doing a job. But the one difference in me that my employers saw was that I would take care of problems so that the problem wouldn't end up on my manager's desks. And they liked that. They appreciated that and they rewarded me for it. And that's one piece of advice I really like to give is that when you can make your manager's or your supervisor's jobs easier, you are more likely to be favored for promotions, for raises. You are more likely to go farther. So if you're working at a daycare and you figure out what problems your supervisors have and you can solve those problems or at least alleviate them a lot, you're going to be a hero. <laughs> you may not be. I mean, these, I don't know these people that you work for, but it's better to be the hero than to think about it as if you're just going to another job. Everyone wants a little bit of freedom where they work. Everyone wants a little bit of relief from the burdens. When you can relieve someone's burdens at your work, you go farther. And when you don't go farther, you realize, hey, I'm not getting anywhere in this position. I got to leave or I got to ask them that I want more money or a higher rank or whatever. And if they don't cooperate, then maybe they aren't the right people to work for. So yes, you may be at the bottom rung of the career ladder, but there's no reason you can't climb. You've probably heard me talk with Scott Barlow of Happen to Your Career. If you go over to happentoyourcareer.com forward slash brain, you'll get signed up for, I think it's an eight-day newsletter or some email program that he has that helps you find the career that you are most passionate about. So just in case uh, daycare isn't in your future and you don't, you're not sure what is, even though you say teaching, you want to find out if that's going to be what you're most passionate about. Usually, what you're most passionate about will be what you stick around and do the longest and what makes you happiest. So if you plan on being a teacher, and every time you think about it, you just love the idea of being a teacher, and it beats almost anything else that you can think of, then if I were in your position, I might end up spending the extra money to do it. When I think about what I'm going to be doing for over half my life, and that is over half of every single day, eight plus hours a day, do I want to enjoy it? Is it something I'm passionate about? Is it something that I can feel proud of? If I can't answer yes, then why am I putting energy towards it? If I do answer yes, I am going to put more energy towards it. I am going to put more money towards it. I'm going to do things that make it happen for me because I know when I'm passionate in a position that I like, I will make more money and I will rise on the career ladder. And the main reason for that is because I will have such a powerful drive behind me. And when you have that powerful drive behind you, 
you don't quit until you're either exhausted or metaphorically dead. You keep going for it. You keep trying to make it work because you enjoy it. And you keep working towards it because when and if you fail at what you're doing, you try even harder. You do it a different way. You keep going for it until it happens for you or until another door opens that you hadn't considered that might even be as appealing, if not more appealing. I think it's important to get a hold of what you really love to do and go for it. You know, on top of $200,000 in debt, what is the difference, and this is my opinion, what is the difference of getting a few more thousand on there to get a certification in something that you love to do? The debt's there no matter what. Now, this could be the worst advice ever. (laughs) I'm not Dave Ramsey. I can't tell you exactly what you need to do. Listen to his show once again. It got me out of debt. However, I didn't have $200,000 in debt, although I did have a condo that was nearly that price, and I did lose it. I didn't pay it down. I lost it. And that hit my credit score. And since then, I have not owned a credit card. And let me tell you, there are advantages to that too. But anyway, when it comes to your career, let me give you one piece of advice that I heard from a personal growth quote guru a few years back. I really liked it, and it was this. Outgrow your position. In other words, do everything you can to master what you are do on a day-to-day basis so that you become overly qualified for the job. The best way to grow and evolve in your career is to become overly qualified in your job. Become a master of all the basics and become a master of efficiency in what you do and try to perfect every system you can so that you got it down. Because when you get things down, you are ready to move on. You are ready for the next level of of whatever that is. And even if somebody doesn't hand you the keys to the next level, you are ready for it. You're going to have the drive and the motivation for it. You will be fearless because you got it down. Master the things that you fear. If you fear cold calling people, master that. Get over that fear and you'll be ready for the next level. Whatever it is in your job that you fear, bring that to the forefront and master it. And I guarantee you, you will go far. So let's get to your next point. I'm supposed to do whatever my teacher asks of me, and they expect me to kneel. No questions asked. That may be true. You may be working for someone who doesn't want you to ask questions, who, and this is what I was told once, just face the horizon and keep going towards, what did he say, the sunset (laughs) or something like that. Uh, Meaning, keep my head down, don't ask any questions, don't make any comments, just do your job. Well, I don't like that. I don't like working for someone who won't take my input, who won't listen to my feedback, who won't hear ideas that would make the department better, would make the job easier, won't hear anything, and just wants me to face forward, head down, do my job. I quit jobs 
even when I had no other money coming in and I was completely broke and I was living under family's roof because I had no money and no way to support my wife and I, I quit a job knowing that I would be end up back in the soup kitchen because I don't want to be in that type of concentration camp environment. <laughs> Those are my words, but it felt like a, I was a prisoner and I was getting paid <laughs> to be a prisoner. That might work for some people, but I don't want to be paid to be a prisoner. I would rather get no money so I wasn't a prisoner. So I made what was not such a hard choice to quit going back to standing in line every morning at the soup kitchen. That's because I have a very high level value of respect and honor for myself. And whatever your highest level value is, that's what drives your behavior, your decisions. That's what motivates you. In my Stop Self-Sabotage worksheet, I tell you how to figure out your highest level values and learn what's driving your behavior. Because if you're working for someone where you're supposed to kneel and ask no questions and you can't even say no to your coworkers because of how they're, how they'll respond, you have a value inside of you that says it's okay to take people's stuff. It's okay to get kicked in the butt as long as you're getting paid or you have something in there that is really guiding you down a road of having to submit to coworkers and your employer. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't have that. I'm saying that there is something driving you that steers you in the direction wanting others to have respect for you or maybe being in a place of integrity or I'm not sure. And again, I'm not trying to put you down for that, but there is something inside of you that definitely values having a job over not being the type of person that submits themselves to that environment. Now, it is possible that you feel like you have to keep this job because there are several things that you said about, you know, wanting to take care of the children and you feel attached to the job for different reasons. And, and of course, the biggest thing, your student debt. Does it have to be this job? I don't know. Is it driving you because you're very passionate about it and you love it? And if that's the case, maybe that's enough to keep you going and see where it takes you and have to submit to a few things, which is fine. Sometimes it's a bigger picture in your ultimate vision for yourself and you do have to take some of the bad with the good and that's fine too. As long as inside you're keeping that compassion for yourself, you're keeping and honoring your own boundaries and you know that sometimes people won't treat you the way you want to be treated. All of these things are a factor. But if you haven't done the values worksheet called Stop Self-Sabotage, go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on Deeper Learning. It's a $5 worksheet. I, I talk about it a lot because it's very effective and it tells you what is motivating you. It tells you why you might be sabotaging yourself or not or it just reveals to you what's driving your behavior, what's driving, what's motivating you to do the things that you do. And once you finish that, you'll understand if you're in alignment with your highest values in, let's just say, the area of career. Are you in alignment with your highest values of your career? Like one of my highest values, if not the highest values, is to honor myself, is to 
work with people that respect me. And I've had these values for quite a while. So when I was applying for jobs, you know, before I started coaching and doing this overwhelmed brain thing, if I felt disrespected, no matter what the job paid, I didn't do it. If I felt like my boundaries were being violated or that um, I must have a, a value of uh, stifling creativity, I don't want my creativity stifled. So if I felt my creativity being stifled, I wouldn't do it. And I would be okay with the consequences. If the consequences meant that I had no money coming in, I would just make it happen that way. It's not easy to do. Not everyone can do that. Some people have kids and mortgages and car payments and they just can't do that. Well, you can. There are systems in place that will help you if you have kids. I don't recommend it. I'm not saying you should. I'm saying that sometimes when, depending on what your highest level values are, you'll make decisions based on those. And when you do, what you feel like you're in alignment. You feel like you're going in the right direction. Even when you lose a great job, if you're still in alignment with those high values, then you're doing things for all the right reasons. It's hard to explain, but if you want to if you want to learn more about that, just get the stop self sabotage worksheet. So certainly consider what you're gaining and what you're losing in the position that you're in and figure out if it's worth it. And if it is worth it, you know, sticking around, then outgrow your position. Be, master the basics. Do everything you can to help your supervisors and make their jobs easier and treat it as if it were your company in the sense that you take responsibility for making their business profitable and for keeping the kids safe and for everything that you can think of that if you owned the business, what would you do? So I wish you the best with that. Now let's get into your final and biggest hurdle in your life right now, which is $200,000 in debt. So this is a student loan. So even if you were completely homeless and broke, you couldn't even declare this in a bankruptcy. So this is one of those, you got to do what you can to pay it down. Now, I'm no expert with student loans, but I did do some research. And one of the things that they said that I read was that you first figure out what you can pay. Second, work with your lender. Call them up and say, I can't afford X amount a month, but I can afford this. And see if they'll work with you. Believe me, the lenders that I've worked with over the years would rather get something than have you stop paying. They want something from you. So if you can't pay 500 a month, ask them if they'll take 300. If you can't pay 250 a month, ask them if they'll take 100 a month. They're most likely going to say no. <laughs> but you have to take care of you first. You have to take care of your own food, shelter, and clothing, and any other very important things that come up first. It's the foundation. It's what you have to take care of first. And if the student loan payments are digging into that at all, you have to lower the student loan payments. I am not a financial expert, so just take my advice as opinions, not fact. Dave Ramsey is the financial advice expert. He got me out of debt. I'm sure he has some interesting information for you too. Now, the second thing I read is that you may be able to change the terms of your payment plan. And what that means is if you have a 10-year payment plan, 
you may be able to change it to 20 years or 25 years. And they, there's even a plan that if you go beyond 25 years and you still owe a lot of money, the debt gets forgiven. So when I read that, I thought that was interesting too. Now, do you want to pay for the next 25 years? Not necessarily. And, you know, is it the right thing to do to pay off this debt? Absolutely. So I'm not saying that you should get to a 25-year point and then just have the debt forgiven. But I am saying you need to take care of yourself. And if you're not taking care of yourself, then you have to do what you have to do. Now, one thing you said is that you're still living with your parents. Now, that could be a savings of a thousand bucks a month on rent. And if they're buying food, that could be another savings of several hundred dollars in food. And there's so many ways to save if they're willing to be your caretakers for a few more months, years. I don't know how long you want to stretch it. And nor am I saying that you should stay with your parents. But if you really do have all that debt and your plan is to pay it off, then take advantage of the time that they are willing to give you so that you can pay it off. But I tell you what, when you live with anyone, your parents, family, friends, make sure you show them that you are working your butt off. You don't want to be sitting on the couch playing video games when they come home and they're not getting any money from you. (laughs) But I think that's obvious. If you have this situation where they are willing to give you free room and board or maybe for a small amount so if they're renting to you then you don't have to pay as much as you would if you were on your own take advantage of it in the sense that use this time to work your butt off work as many jobs as you can or at least find ways to make money so that you can pay this off as fast as possible or at least take a big chunk out this may mean no social life and what Dave Ramsey calls living like no other so that later on you can live like no other. I love that quote. And he also says, you're going to live on beans and rice (laughs) for a while. You're going to live on such little means so that you can pay this off. It is possible. It is possible to pay off $200,000 when you're on minimum wage. You can't do it staying on minimum wage. It just It'll never work out because you'll continue paying off the interest. But quite frankly, you know, even if you had a $10 an hour job, you were making 20000 a year, it would still take you way over 10 years, probably 15 or 20 because of the interest, because of other expenses to pay this off. So this is a big challenge and this is not my area of expertise. So my only advice, and I've repeated it over and over again today, is to listen to Dave Ramsey and just do what he says. (laughs) Seriously. And make Google your friend. Type in search terms such as, I'm having trouble paying my student debt, or what do I do if I can't pay my student debt, so on and so forth. Get friendly with the search results. Learn everything you can. Arm yourself with information. Again, these are all my amateur opinions on what you should do But I wanted to address your other questions because I know they are relevant to a lot of people, including yourself. Now, if you have kids or are planning to go to college, I read some very good news. And that is there are colleges out there that will give away tuition, will make it free 
for students to attend their college if they don't make a certain amount a year. I just read that Stanford is one of these colleges. Stanford, if you don't make, I think it's a hundred and twenty thousand a year, you get to go for free. Now I'm sure they have to still accept you, but if more and more colleges do this, then college debt won't be such a problem. On top of that,、um, I read that MIT has over ninety percent of their curriculum online for free. That means if you wanted to take a college course online, you could take theirs. Now it won't lead you to actual college credentials that I know of. I'm not sure about that. You may want to check on that. But at least you can get the education if you wanted it. Now, what does this mean? That means that you could be pre-qualified for some jobs that may be looking for a degree in something, but you have the education over a degree. Some companies will accept that, some won't. But in today's world, it's getting less and less a problem to get a college degree. And if we keep going this way, then college won't be such a nightmare after you're done, <laughs> as far as having to pay off these loans. I know this doesn't help you now, Jack, and I know that you have a lot of debt, and you're going to have to do a lot of hustling to make it up and make it back. But hopefully you'll have a career that starts paying you well, where you can just get it out of the way as fast as possible and not have to worry about it anymore. Now, you could also have it for the next twenty years, but don't think of it as a problem. We always have to pay something to someone somewhere. We're always paying something. So if you have, you know, a two hundred dollar debt every month. Just make it automatic, so you don't even see it. You may not be able to go out to eat as much as you want, and you may not be able to entertain yourself as much as you want. But don't think that life is going to be super challenging because you have all this debt. There are people with mortgages out there that they're going to be paying for the next thirty years or so, and I know that equates to an investment and having a house. But again, we're always paying for something, so we just come to an acceptance of. That's how it is. Those of you paying child support probably know what I mean. That's how it is. It's just something I have to do. It's my responsibility. I'm going to do it. It's just the way it is. So I don't have the magic pill to get you out of debt. <laughs> Sorry about that. But I hope what we talked about today is a little bit helpful and gets you moving in the right direction. I wish you the best. Stay tuned while we conclude the show. Right, every week we get to hear from Asha, who is an independent associate for a type of legal insurance called Legal Shield. She connects you with legal services for about twenty dollars a month, and what you get is well, sometimes worth quite literally thousands. Think about it this way: if you had to hire an attorney to write a letter or make a call for you without this service, it would cost you hundreds of dollars per hour. Asha at GetOutOfTheMess.com, however. Gets you this service and many other services just like this for twenty dollars a month, and many of the TOB listeners have been calling her and finding out if this legal insurance would be right for their situation. And instead of the usual legal entanglement story that Asha comes up with, 
She told me she'd wanted to do something different this week. So, Asha, you've got the stage. I just want to give a big shout out and a thank you to all of the people who have been calling and trusting us with basically your life. The things that you're facing and the things that you share with me are important things that have significant impact in your life. And I appreciate your trust. I appreciate your willingness to give us a chance to see if we can help you with the service. And um, that's it. I just wanted to say thank you. Keep calling. If you need something else, call me back. And for those of you who haven't called yet, I'm sure there are some of you who have something pandering around in your mind. And you keep thinking, well, no, it's probably not relevant or it's not worth it. But give me a call. It takes five minutes of your time to either fill out the request form or shout out to me and five minutes of my time to call you back, answer your questions, and just give you a realistic expectation of uh, what can be dealt with and what can't be. So there's nothing to lose here. There's no requirement. There's no commitment. It's just a question, and I'm happy to entertain that. Even if you think you may not be a good fit, call and find out. It's your life. So thank you very much, and I'm happy to hear back stories from anybody, too, if you want to share those. That would be terrific. And uh, you have to be in the domestic United States or Canada in order to use our services. I have had calls from Canada lately. Um, We service every place except for Saskatchewan, Quebec, and Alaska. So thank you. Anybody with questions, feel free to call me at 678-355-8777 or go to getoutofthemess.com. You can use the button on the overwhelmed brain to get there. That's all the time we have for today on The Overwhelmed Brain, so thank you for joining me. We talked a little bit about career and money, something I rarely address, and something that I usually let someone else handle because, quite frankly, we all have our specialties. And that reminds me of something that I've addressed in myself several times throughout life. I've always wanted to become a specialist in something. I've had careers in technology and telephony and even worked for a personal growth company for someone you've probably heard of over in California. And even though I had a title for each job I had, I never felt like a specialist. So the last job I had before I started The Overwhelmed Brain was, again, in technology, and I was working at a hospital. This was a great job. I enjoyed it. But having reached my 40s, I still felt like I hadn't really found purpose or something that I could do for the rest or most of the rest of my life. I asked myself, what is my specialty? What can I talk about more than anything else? What do I really enjoy talking about and what am I really good at? At my technology job, I was usually the person that my coworkers and sometimes even my supervisors would come to ask personal questions about their relationships or their feelings about a big decision they needed to make, or maybe they wanted to talk about the problems they were having at home, or whatever the case. I was the kind of person that would stick around after work, sometimes up to two hours or more, helping someone through their issue. And so it hit me one day. Oh my God, that's my specialty. (laughs) How come I didn't get this before? All this time, what I really loved to do is help people through their challenges and help them get unstuck and 
empower them to make decisions that are right for them. When I had that realization, my life changed. All the years that went by, when I was studying personal growth and development and psychology and human behavior and brain science and even going to classes to get certified in those things, it never occurred to me to turn what I love into what I do. But when that realization hit me, that I do have a specialty, that I can turn what I already love to do into something that reaches more people, that's when I created the overwhelmed brain. I embraced that I was already coaching and helping people actually turn their lives around. At a regular job, I might help one or two people, but I thought, is that enough? I mean, I've gone through a lot in my history where I've learned and healed, and I can share that with other people, and and they can get through their stuff. And this is the point I want to make. No, this isn't necessarily an ad for my coaching. I talk about that all the time, but what I really want to say is that we all have a specialty. You have a specialty. What is that specialty? And can you turn it from something you love into something that you do? Can it become a side job for now and then you can turn it into a full-time job later? Or whatever you want to call it. If you don't like the word job, use the word career. Use the word passion. Use anything you'd like, but you have a specialty. And you usually know what that specialty is because you like to talk about it. I'll I'll tell you what, even the town gossip has a specialty. (laughs) Think about the National Enquirer. Think about media that sensationalizes gossip. Think about the paparazzi. Think about people who write articles that talk about celebrities. The town gossip's specialty may be gossip, so why not turn that into something that's enjoyable to do? Why not turn it into something that you can actually get paid for? I'm not promoting gossip here, but I'm saying that even something like that can be turned into something that you do. And I'm using the word do as something that you'll define, something that you do maybe professionally, something that you'll do more of, something that you'll actually put more time and energy into to possibly create a full-time position for you. Now, it may not happen right away. You may have to do what I did. I worked for a good six months at my 40-hour-a-week job while I was starting the overwhelmed brain because we can't live without some sort of income. And then when I started charging for what I do, I started making monies to support this show. And then the show grew from there. I was able to sustain myself. And the show keeps growing, and I hope that I'm able to continue sustaining and profiting and making as much money as I deserve. Just like I want you to make as much money as you deserve. Now, here's the hard part. How much do you think you're worth? Well, let me clear that up right now. Because whatever you think you're worth, you're always worth more. And what makes that clear to me? What makes that crystal clear to me is that if you're always trying to improve yourself and you are trying to improve the lives of other people at the same time, then you are worth more than you think you are. And if you think you're worth a hundred billion dollars, 
Well, <laughs> congratulations, you're getting close. <laughs> you're probably worth a lot more. But where that worth comes in is when you do what you specialize in. Now, it doesn't mean that you you can quit your day job and start doing your specialty and you'll make a lot of money because you do have to find a way to monetize it. You do have to find a way to sell your specialty. Using the gossiper, for example, that person might start a blog or write, to, write articles for a magazine or what have you. Start a video channel on YouTube. It all starts with the first step. Start with the first step so that you can take the next step. That's what I did with the overwhelmed brain. I created a blog. I created my first article and nothing happened. <laughs> I created my second article and nothing happened. By the time I got to my hundredth article, things were happening because I started with the first step. I created the foundation and I just kept going and I was consistent and I was always trying to give and give and share what I knew with the world and share what I loved talking about with the world, just like I am today. Now, I don't want this to sound like a follow your passion speech, but I will say this. If there's something that you love to do, then do it. Do you have to make money at it? Absolutely not. But if you can, just ask yourself, why not? If you don't want to, no problem. Don't. And if you love your day job and you don't want to quit it, don't. But I'm just going to use my own lessons in history here, where when I think back of me wanting to be a specialist in something and realizing what I specialize in is helping others getting through their challenges, whether emotionally or personal problems of other sorts. When I realized I was only helping one or two people at a time, and I thought, geez, you know, if I could help one person, why can't I help a hundred people or a thousand or 10,000 people? So I'll use a medium to get out there, starting with the blog and creating the podcast like this and just reaching as many people as possible, knowing that not everyone's going to resonate with my message, but those that do, whose lives do change, that's all that matters. If your life is changing in some small way because of this show, that's what matters to me. That's what matters most. That's what feels good to me. I want you to create the life you want. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for listening to this show. I appreciate you allowing me to express my specialty. <laughs> Have a great week. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Audible. Go to audible.com and make sure you put the forward slash brain so that you can get your free 30 days. I love books on audio. I love washing dishes while I listen to books on audio. And I love their service. Go to audible.com forward slash brain and get your free book right away. I also want to thank Asha with getoutofthemess.com. You can reach her at 678-355-8777. All it takes is five minutes. Just give her a call and ask a question and see if that service is right for you. I also want to thank everyone who purchased a book or a worksheet or used the Amazon link to shop as you normally would, which gives us pennies for every dollar you spend. <laughs> I know it sounds minuscule, but 
every person that uses it, it adds up and it is helpful. Your shopping habits are making a difference, so thank you. Also, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. Now that I got this work and finance episode out of the way, I'm probably not going to talk about money for I don't know how long. Maybe it'll come up again. Maybe I'll get a lot of emails or maybe I'll reach out to someone who knows a lot about money and he or she can talk about it on the show. Just because, like I said, we all have our specialties. Now, I've gotten better with money. (laughs) I've learned how to handle money a little bit better, so it's not such a problem in my life anymore. Yet, I wonder how much of that old mindset is still there. It's kind of like when you meet someone who doesn't know how to handle money and they win like a large amount in the lottery or they inherit a lot of it. And you think, okay, great, their money problems are gone. And then they burn through it within a few weeks, months, or even just a couple years. And you're like, what happened? You had all that money. What happens is that the mindset never changes. If you're always in debt before the money, then you probably didn't know how to handle handle it very well. Or there were circumstances that kept happening that kept you in that place. And then when you have more of that money, you have a bigger pile from which to start, but you also have a bigger pile from which to draw. And our thoughts get bigger, our dreams get bigger, and our spending habits get bigger. And if we have not changed our old habits, our old ways, then having more of something, like having more money, just amplifies who we already are. So just remember that more of a good thing can be a great thing, but it can also bring out some of the stuff that we may not have healed from yet. So when you still don't feel satisfied when and if you happen upon abundance, don't think that you can't be happy even when things are going good. Just remember that it's an opportunity to address and resolve the stuff you may not have realized was a problem. Now, how do you resolve what comes up? Listen to shows like this. Reach out to coaches like me. Face things that you don't want to face. And especially, open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.